Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. My name is Matt Barker. I'm the Features Editor at Campaign and I'm joined today by reporter Shauna Lewis. Hello, Shauna. Hello. Now, a little later on, I'm going to be joined by Henry Hodgson, who's the General Manager of NFL UK. We're going to be chatting about American football's huge popularity over here. We have the annual London series of games happening this month um, and, and discussing how the sport is both marketing itself and working with brands and sponsorship partners. Before that, however, we're going to have a quick chat about some of the stories on the campaign site this week that have caught our eyes. Shauna, you wrote a piece looking at the latest happenings at Amazon, namely plans for an ad tier, and your article highlights reactions to Disney Plus introducing a similar tier. Is it fair to say that media buyers haven't been massively keen on the Disney model so far? Um, I don't, so I don't think that's like necessarily fair to say. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's more of uh, it's more of like a. Um, a kind of like mixed reaction in that, you know, they're really pleased that, you know, they've got something else to add to their already probably quite complicated media plan. Um, and, you know, and also like, you know, the quality on Disney is really good. Like there's loads of really good content, like all the Marvel stuff. Um, it Also, what's interesting that I did chat about is that um, with some of the media buyers is that they're not worried about the actors strikes in a way, because a lot of people just use these platforms to watch old stuff. Um, so in a way, it doesn't really affect advertising. Um, so it's it's not, you know, they're, excite- they're excited about that, but there is, it is like a kind of a very limited offering. Um, words used were like humble and like paired back, um, which is kind of in light of what happened with like Netflix last year, where they launched and they were charging like, 50 pounds CPM, which is like they charge 50 pounds for every like thousand viewers who watch the show. And they ask agencies to spend a a minimum (laughs) of 5 million with them. Whereas Disney's is a lot cheaper. So it's like 35 pounds net for a 30 second, 20 second or 50 second ad. And they're allowed to spend um, clients are allowed to spend like 15,000 a month max. Um, So it's, quite limited in that sense and you know you can only target in terms of like whether people are over 18 or under 18 um and also in terms of like the content so it's a more family friendly platform so no gambling no alcohol ads and they're also uncertain about hfss advertising um so it's ultimately like a good thing in terms of they've got more to add to their mix but it is the mixed reaction comes from the fact that it's quite limited so as someone said to me no one's knocking down the door for it um it's it's just kind of like another one to add in and and what about amazon what are their plans can we expect to see ads introduced on amazon prime over the coming months yeah so that's happening in early 2024 um and they're kind of still making the rounds with like media buyers investment teams from what I understand and like they're working out their offering still but what we do know is that they're gonna um convert all of the like current prime video users which like as of the like first quarter of 2023 was it was like 12.9 million um and they're just going to whack them on that platform um which and it's going to be a kind of like, whereas Disney and Netflix have gone like, do you want to opt into this ad tier? Amazon is going, well, if you want, you can you can pay a little bit more and not get the ads, which just means it's more likely to get like a bigger audience. So media buyers are a bit more excited about that one because it promises like um, more reach, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. The only thing I always find annoying about the ads on these streaming platforms is they seem 
there's, there's quite a limited number of them. So the same ones seem to crop up every other ad break, which just gets a bit easier. Well, that's, that's ad bombardment, Matt, and that's an entirely other issue, which I'm sure you can dedicate a whole podcast <laughs> to if you really want it. Yeah. Stay tuned, listeners. Now, also, also this week, we've had Marmite enlisting the help of puppets to spread the word to a younger audience after YouGov research shockingly found that 43% of UK 18 to 24-year-olds have never tried Marmite. Clearly, this ad, Love It, Hate It, Get It On, created by Adam and Eve DBB, is very much targeted at that demographic. We've got this very kind of 90s club culture thing going on, two puppets, uh, one who looks uncannily like Flat Eric in a, in a Brian Jones wig, bopping away and, and possibly to my old raver's eyes on a bit of a post-clubbing comfort food binge after they've maybe overindulged on, on, uh, on disco lager. Have you, have you given Marmite a go, Shauna? And are you more tempted to do so after watching this ad? Uh, so I haven't tried Marmite before. Um, <laughs> and after, no, because like yesterday, like Imogen said this to me, and I think, and everyone was very surprised that I hadn't tried it. Am I, now I might just not try it out of spite, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but it did, it did kind of, yeah, it did. It was like, it, it looked, it looked, it looked all, it looked all right. It was brown. Um, but I thought the ad was really good. Um, it kind of felt like a, a kind of like, classic ad it, it kind of reminded me of the you know the monkey on the pg tips ads mm. um maybe it just felt like kind of a bit like nostalgic or whatever because of um because it was a puppet and it wasn't a cgi thing but i really enjoyed the ad um i think yeah jury's out on the marmite itself but may, maybe yeah maybe <laughs> yeah the music's annoying as well isn't it i thought it was really catchy yeah yeah, yeah. See, things that start off being catchy, if the song's really catchy to begin with, guaranteed to be annoying after about the 10th listen. But no, I, I mean, it's, it's a clever ad. It's, it's I, suppose that's, I suppose that's the, the point of it. Yeah. When I catch you tapping your foot along tomorrow in the office, I'll, I'll know it's got you. I've been, I've been doing on the Marmite. Yeah. Um, <laughs> finally, Direct Liners has brought back its old bugle sonic identity. Um, the word iconic has been used a lot in reference to this, which seems a little bit over the top. But it is a famous old brand asset, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I played it out. I played it out loud to my mum, and she was like, "I know that one." Um, and it took her a while to get it, but it, but yeah, she uh, figured it out in the end. I think the new one is quite different. I'd say it has more echoes of the old one rather than a complete like carbon copy. But it seems like they've revamped it a little, quite well. I think. At Direct Line, we've got car insurance for different kinds of people. Alice likes to have it all. She's got comprehensive plus. Then there's Joel, who likes just a few bells and whistles. He's got comprehensive. Or there's our new essentials cover for those like Dan, who prefer things stripped back. Exactly. So whatever flavour you're after, come direct to compare our prices. It's interesting, isn't it? Last time I was on this podcast, we, we were chatting about retro ads. Um, and we were just mentioning there about Marmite as well. Now we've got direct line. Is is this part of that trend, perhaps? Yeah, maybe. I think like the like going back to like yeah, the like the Marmite one, like that felt quite to me, I don't know why, for some reason it felt like a really like classic ad. It felt like one of those ones that I'd see as a like old ads back in the like noughties that are 
like not retro. I know the noughties isn't necessarily, I don't know if the noughties counts as retro now. I don't think Probably it does. does now. Yeah. From, might, might do. Um, but like, it kind of felt like a, you know, like, um, like a really classic one that you'd see is like, and then, you know, in those, I used to watch those shows when I was young, this makes me sound like such a laser where it was like top 10 ads of the noughties or something like that. It kind of felt like one of those ones that like, um, it kind of felt like one of them. Now, who do you think, Shauna Lewis, who do you think would come out on top in a contest between a panther and a Viking? Okay, Matt, you didn't, you didn't brief me about this. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, um, panther and a Viking. I think a Viking. I personally think the biggest animal I could take on is a fox, in case you're interested. Right. I was talking to my friends the other day. Um, but I think, I think a Viking would win. And what about a jaguar and a falcon? A jaguar and a falcon? A jaguar. Jaguar, you, you won both of those. Vikings won at the weekend, so did the Jaguars. I am, of course, referring to American football. Uh, I'm now joined by Henry Hodgson, who's a general manager of NFL UK. UK sports, football in particular, the Premier League, we, we, we look at that. You know, it, it's learned a lot from US sports and, and how leagues like the NFL, they work with brands and, and sponsors, you know, commercial opportunities and so on. Are there still areas where you think the US can, can teach the UK a thing or two about, about this in particular? I, I wouldn't even say that there are still areas. I think there have always been and there will continue to be areas that, that we can learn from each other. Um, you know, I think um, the Premier League is truly a global sport. Um, obviously, football, soccer, we, we'll have to yeah. call it. Um, but football is a global sport. The, but the Premier League is, is certainly a global league. And I think that's what the NFL has in its sights as, a, as, a, as an ambition, um, is to be that. And I think there are lots of elements of what has made the Premier League a global sport that the NFL can learn from. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you know, there are, we, we certainly look at that. We, we talk to the Premier League a lot. They have a desire to obviously to grow in the US. I'd say that's a market that they continue to see some, some upside in. So, so you know, we, we spend some time talking together. They've recently opened a, an office uh, in New York, um, which actually employs someone who used to work for NFL International. So someone who's, who's seen the, the, the opportunities both within the, within the NFL and how it globalizes as well as uh, obviously how it's how it's grown in the US. Um, so in answer to your question, yes, I think there's a lot of opportunity and and we'll continue to, to look at how we do that. It is fascinating, isn't it? The way the, way the sports kind of overlap, Premier League and NFL, let, 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 let's sort of call them that. I'm thinking perhaps, you know, not, not, not just in terms of commercial propositions, but also, I don't know, the wider culture around it, the way that now, I mean, if, if you look at something like fantasy football, that came from NFL, didn't it? It came from Wall Street, basically, yeah. originally, didn't it? And then the whole yeah. idea of an off-season, the transfer windows, all, all these things that, that, that we see in English football, a lot of it sort of came from, from the other side of the Atlantic, didn't it, really? Yes, I mean, it did. And I think what the NFL has done and probably the Premier League looks at and, and would love to to try and identify how to do it is the NFL has a, you know, for a, for a sport that has a relatively short playing season has a true year round calendar with kind of tentpole moments is what we would call them throughout the year. And, you know, the NFL draft is a gigantic cultural moment in the U S uh, you know, and it's essentially the equivalent of a PE class and saying, you know, who's uh, uh, two captains, you pick who you want, you know, um, but it turns into a moment that outdraws NBA playoff games that are taking place at the same time. So there is this, um, there's, there's just been this kind of juggernaut of, of growing 
different events that fans in the US, sports fans in the US and now around the world desperately want to consume related to the NFL that continue the storytelling up until the point that you're playing games again. You mentioned cultural moments there. We, we, we've got the Super Bowl coming up in Vegas next year in, in February, I think, which, which should be absolutely incredible. Do you look at sort of traditional showpiece events in, in soccer over here, European football, things like the Champions League final, things like the FA Cup final, and, and, and think that it should be following the template of the Super Bowl a lot more, certainly in terms of um, commercial opportunities, advertising and so on, that it should be a, a, a bit more of a kind of a showpiece for commercial opportunities. I mean, I, it's, it's difficult to reverse engineer it. I think, you know, the Super Bowl has always had that, as I say, the sort of cultural significance in the US and, and music and the, the ads have been an integral part of that going back a long way. And because, you know, I think it is last year, 80 of the top 100 most watched programs in the US were NFL games, obviously with the Super Bowl annually, the most watched event in the US, it kind of follows that that's where advertisers are going to to spend their money on getting new products out or, you know, spending, you know, big amounts of money on creative for, for um, commercials. So, it makes sense there. I don't know that it would make quite the same sense here because it's a global sport which, you know, week to week there are there are people around the UK and around Europe and the rest of the world watching soccer games and there's, there's such a large quantity of, of that product around. I don't know that it's, it would feel quite as special. Sure. Um, the NFL is really sort of, been a bit of a trailblazer here. It sort of set a template for things like fan zones and and, and the whole the whole idea of a of, of a fan experience, the way it markets itself and so on. That's something that sort of feeds through now into into sort of even lower league sort of European football over here. You know, you, you, the whole idea now is is that it, it's it's a, it's an event and it lasts the whole day rather than. I mean, we haven't got quite got to tailgating yet, but you know, the beers there and and and, and everything else. Yeah. Is, is is that something that that you you can? I mean, I've, I've just sort of answered my own question, really, haven't I? But is is that something you see increasingly happening over here? I, I mean, I think a challenge for all sports, and <clears throat> you know, that's true of the NFL <clears throat> and and football at any level here, would be it, it's harder and harder to get, especially young people, um, away from you know the devices, the television, the home. And so you do have to make sure that, the, and especially with the, the cost of, of tickets increasing, you do have to make sure that the experience they have at an event is, is you know, markedly better than what they'd be able to do at home. And you, you mentioned fantasy football. I know that, you know, specifically for the NFL, there was a time period where we have a product, NFL Red Zone, which is a fantastic way of, of watching the sport. And I think there was a, a slight kind of concern that, have we have we created products that are so good that it almost is better to be sitting on your sofa watching multiple games at once with your phone in one hand following your fantasy football team? So there was a concerted effort by all 32 NFL teams to say, all right, how do we make that game day experience that much better? And that comes down to renovation of stadiums and, and making sure there are some really excellent and interesting food opportunities there, um, ways to um, kind of immerse yourself in in fantasy and or in in um what's happening in other games making sure you're keeping across all the scores in the nfl and just to make sure that the the game day experience is 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 second to none um and i think that's probably what you know 
other sports and frankly other kind of entertainment properties have to do you know you see movie theaters are uh upgrading their food and upgrading their comfort of the seats and all those kind of things because it's just that much easier these days to to stay in and and still get a great entertainment experience whatever it is you're trying to do watch a movie watch sport whatever so you have to do things that that make it a a better experience and i and i would say that the nfl does that you know as well as anyone else out there and it's something that we really pride ourselves on and that's something that we bring when we play our games here in the uk we have to make sure that we do that. We want to be known, obviously, on the field as just truly kind of top-class entertainment in, in, in the sports realm. But we also want to make sure that really it's the best sort of sporting day out that a family could have uh, in the UK at any point of the year. And away from sort of live events, you mentioned young people there. It's, it's kind of a bit of a happy accident, I suppose, isn't it, that a lot of sports in the US and and, and, and football in particular – it's a series of moments, isn't it? That you, you, you can sort of cut them off as chunks. So you have you have downs and, and, and so yeah. on. That works really nicely on social, doesn't it? Is, is, is that something that you're using to target a younger demographic? Absolutely. Yeah. Social media really, you know, we're, we're, we're really chasing a sort of 12 to 24 year old audience of, of young fans in the UK and, and internationally generally. And social is right at the heart of, of that. And, you know, more specifically, I think probably TikTok as a channel to reach that young audience and engage with them, um, but do it in a, in a way that's kind of authentic. We're not just throwing highlights on there. We're throwing highlights that are, are created and formatted in a way that would appeal to that audience. It's funny, though, because I was also talking to, to someone the other day and NFL Red Zone, which is I mentioned earlier, a product that kind of bounces around from game to game. Um, in real time, live on a on a Sunday um, when when at least sort of seven eight games are taking place at once, and sort of goes to the one that I suppose is most exciting in that moment, and it almost accidentally is kind of the perfect um, long form short form video content in terms of as you say, showing a highlight, showing something that's happening, and then bouncing to the next one and the next one, and I think. It is an interesting format for young people who who are looking for that short form entertainment to kind of sit in a way that they might do with with their phone and watch for an hour, but watch in 20 second increments. NFL Redstone sort of delivers that, but has been around for 15 years or so, and I think has accidentally backed into something that might be of real appeal to to that young audience as well. So I think we can do it on social media, but we can do it on linear mm -hmm. as well. Like, focusing on the UK, um, NFL UK has enjoyed plenty of successful partnerships, brands like Cinch and IG, I, I, I think was the most, most recent um, partnership which has been announced, isn't it? Um, it? It seems to be growing all the time. Can you see, I mean, especially with things like TikTok, I suppose, and, and this younger audience, where personalities become important, don't they? Where, where sort of certain players will, will, will sort of shine on, on TikTok and these sort of behind-the-scenes nuggets that, that sort of get shown on the platform and yeah. so on. I mean, can, can you see stars of, of, the, of, of the sport becoming involved in sort of mainstream advertising over here? Could, could it, you know, I, I, I don't know, could, could, could um, Squadron Barkley or someone ad ad advertise a television or a kettle or something? Can, can you see that potentially happening at some stage? It, it's a it's a really interesting question. I think um, you know, first of all, with the NFL, both in the US but especially internationally, you know, these superstar athletes, these incredible players, play the game with a helmet on, which is a, a difficulty that we have to overcome. So we we spend a lot of time again when we're thinking about that twelve to twenty four year old audience 
how do we both show what they can do, the incredible physical skills they have on the field, but then also to your point, their personality and, and, and sort of take the helmet off the player and, and introduce them. And I think we'll probably have to continue to do that a lot more in order to get to a point where, as you say, um, these types of, of players get those commercial opportunities. But it's certainly not beyond the, the realm of possibility that that could happen in the future. Um, I, I think the other thing that could take us over the hump, and it's something that's you know very um, kind of current, but we have a, a player. I don't know. I'm sure that this many of your listeners will have heard about this, but um, Taylor Swift, you know, the the biggest um, probably celebrity in the world right now, has uh, recently struck up a friendship, should we say, <laughs> with um, an NFL player named Travis Kelsey from the Kansas City Chiefs, who's been you know one of the best players, or certainly his position, the best player in the NFL maybe for a decade. Um, and, you know, perhaps that's what it would take as well. You know, Tom Brady, obviously, is probably the most recognizable name until he recently retired and, and was also married to, to a very recognizable and well-known um, model in, in Giselle. Um, so I think probably that sort of partnership um, almost kind of lifts and, and elevates these these star athletes into that next level of kind of global superstardom. Because it is quite an exciting moment, isn't it? There are there is a generation coming through of younger players and, and, and you know, you could say that there's quarterbacks now emerging from the, the long shadow of, of, of Tom Brady and, and, and others like him. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I think, is is probably the very best player in the NFL right now, less recognizable probably to a global audience, but every bit as talented and, and uh, excellent and, and probably, you know, will at least try to chase down Tom Brady's records in terms of number of Super Bowls. Um, he's, he's already got two of them off, off the list already. Um, so I think all of, you know, there, there are many players that I think would, would have that global appeal. And I think as we continue to grow that, that's something that will happen. I think the other point is we, we continue to look for international stars of the sport. And, and that's another way that especially internationally we can, we can grow. And perhaps, you know, that's, that's um, an opportunity that, that we will see um, come to life maybe even more um, quickly than, than some of the sort of NFL stars is our homegrown stars getting that opportunity to, to be featured in, in their home market. And Harry Kane potentially as well. He wants to be a kicker for the Patriots, isn't he, apparently? I think he would like to if he can. So we'll, we'll watch out for that at some point in the future as well. Fantastic. So we've got the London Games going on this month, which are always just a, a fantastic occasion at, at, at Wembley and the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium as well. Record numbers last year. I mean, how, how do you see the things developing over the, sort of the coming years? Do you have like a five-year plan in place or? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really, you know, how do we continue to grow the fan base? So I think the games are, are obviously a big and the most sort of publicly known part of what we're doing. And we we sell out Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We've just extended our partnership with Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which is you know the home of the NFL in the UK. Um, and we've extended that through the 2029-2030 NFL season. So um, you know through through this decade at least. Um, and so that guarantees us at least two games a year there. Um, we have a team in the Jacksonville Jaguars who made this commitment to play in London, and, and this will be this will mark the tenth year that they've been doing that on an annual basis, giving up one of their eight home games in in Jacksonville to come and, and, and put a game here, which is obviously you know a big commitment, and, and we expect that to continue. So we have all these opportunities to to sort of 
you know, have, have fixtures here that, that we know are going to happen. I think for us, the important thing is then continuing to grow the fan base. And, and as I mentioned earlier, continue to grow that engagement year round. So it's not just about those games, but it's about that whole calendar of, of NFL events um, and, and making sure that fans here are engaged and excited by it. Um, to, to continue the, the growth of, of the potential audience. I was going to ask you this question, and I was wondering how to, how to frame it without it sounding rude, but I was going to say to you, what, what do you do for the rest of the year? Um, but there's, there's a lot going on at grassroots level, isn't there? Yeah, there's a lot going on. We So, I mean, you know, I, I could probably go off in a, in a hundred different directions here. Certainly from a grassroots standpoint, you know, we, we know that obviously the elite level of the sport, the NFL, um, you know, getting people to watch it is very important. So we have our partnerships with Sky and ITV and, and Five um, to watch the games. But equally important to us is is then just growing an appreciation for, for the sport to be played as well. Uh, and so flag football, um, which is a, a non-contact version of the sport that can be played from a very young age by kids and has really been adopted into schools and through community programs that we have is a, a, an incredibly fast-growing um opportunity for us and one that kind of levels the playing field for girls and boys to play together girls to play by themselves um i think for some communities have sort of adopted it because it doesn't have a culture around it so much as as you know other british indigenous sports might have and so people feel like feeling like they may be excluded from playing it to some level and and really have created their own culture around it so we we're working hard to grow the participation level of flag football um at a young age group around the uk and then as some of those kids that have started playing it get older and get more into the sport also trying to find elite pathways for them to continue playing flag football or to play the contact version of the sport. Um, and so I've also launched an NFL Academy in the UK, which is essentially intended to get kids sort of 16 to 18 in a school at Loughborough College and Loughborough University, you know, obviously elite sporting environment to get them to, to play the sport and hopefully find this pathway for some of them to play college football in the US. And then ultimately, you know, if, if we really get it right, to, to, to create some NFL players from here as well. So in terms of kind of the growth of, of participation, that, you know, that foundation of, of grassroots and then a pathway to potentially create some, some British NFL players, that certainly keeps us busy. Um, we've got, um, you know, commitments from NFL teams. So we have a, a program called the Global Markets Program where all 32 clubs have had the opportunity to go and, and sort of say we want to invest in a specific market. We have six NFL teams that have chosen the UK specifically as a market that they want to grow in. So they are creating programs, um, putting on events, etc., to to grow their um, brands in, in the UK and ultimately so that, you know, they can have a commercial opportunity in this market to to become you know, part of the again part of that that sporting fabric of of the UK. So I mean those are those are probably two or three examples of programs that that keep us busy more than just the sure. month of October. One one thing I really love about the London Games is is sort of being that that, that weekend if if you're out and about in central London and and you meet fans that have that have sort of flown over from the states to to see their team play. Given that, I'm going to end on the question that I know you probably get asked at least twice a day, but given the willingness for that and given the fan base over here and, and throughout the rest of Europe, I mean, is the ultimate aim to have a London team or a UK team 
Um, I, I, I don't know about the ultimate aim. I think the ultimate aim is to put ourselves in a position where if that opportunity came to us, we would feel like we are ready to do it and make it incredibly successful. Um, and so I think that's the best way of saying that we continue to look to grow our fan base overall and then to grow the engagement of our most avid fans. And then also to create the government relations, the stadium partnerships, the other pieces that if if an owner came to us and said, I would like to put a team in London, we'd be ready to say, great, we have all of these pieces in place. But I think that that last piece is so far outside of our control that we we need to say that our aims are something different. And our aim is really to to become um, one of the top three sports amongst 12 to 24 year olds in the UK, because I think that's exactly what would set us up to to be successful if that opportunity came Excellent. to us. Good answer. OK, thanks, Henry. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Great. Good to speak to you, Matt. Thank you. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing today, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Details of our subscriptions are available at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. A big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager Nav Powell and also our producer Lindsay Riley from Rethink Audio. And also to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye.